0: this is the one with brain quarters
1: talky phones
0: unalives
1: wall scrawlers,
0: and daddy caretaker
1: it's called paradise towers
0: how, how you, you do do yeah there's a lag <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're embarking on a voyage all through
0: time and all through space counting daleks thal and and the cybertronic race and taurans look like taters and silurians all have wonky scales and the doctor has a tundis. we're reviewing all his tales when. when reviewing all of who there is who back when and subscribe and rate all night juice, please episode by episode we're trudging down this temporal come join us on this odyssey what other choice could there be than
2: who back
0: when who back when. when well hello there podcast land and welcome to yet another absolutely marvelous magical episode of who back when a doctor who podcast
1: or doc past
0: oh well oh. I know I'm Leon, but you know what? I am sitting here in the presence of that chappiest of chaps in Berlin, the cake boss himself. I am talking, of course, about none other than Jim Cakes. Hello, Jim.
1: Hello, Leon. Cake <laughs> boss, well.
0: <Wow. laughs> oh Oh, but what joyous surprise is this? Seize your britches, Jim and podcast land alike, lest they cast themselves fawningly, instinctively at the stage at the surprise guest who has quite literally just abseiled in from the roof. Goodness, I wish this were a video podcast. It's the maître de Colibé
3: himself. It is Drew. Greetings. This is co host 345 stroke 12 subsection 3. Hail Jim, hail Leon, (laughs) hail Podcastland, all hail.
1: (laughs) Oh, Oh, amazing. (laughs) I can't believe Podcastland. Oh my God, I had no idea. This is an absolute surprise to me and such a pleasure (laughs) to see this joyous face of Drew in front of you,
3: Jim. (laughs) Nine and a half years in, and we can still surprise.
0: That's right. (laughs) The three of us are here. So, Chaps, Paradise Towers, high level. What do you think?
1: I kind of loved it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do you remember be much about this from when you were a pleasure. kid?
1: <laughs> Literally, uh, the only image I had was the weird yellow robot in the swimming pool, and it freaked the hell out me as oh. a kid. It's the most pathetic thing watching as an adult.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Crabbot. It's great. It's yeah. good stuff. <laughs>
3: what about you, Drew? Well, I think Jim doesn't need to regard this as a guilty pleasure now, because... Now that we have a jury of three, we can gain a majority, two to one. I also kind of loved it. (laughs) (laughs) With heavy caveats.
0: Yeah, yeah. Interesting.
3: Okay, well, how can I argue
0: with that? Well, the thing is, I went on a journey with this one. Quite literally, I wrote my rating after watching this and it was something to the effect of life is precious and I will never get this time back. That was about a week ago. That was like five days ago or something. And I have thought about this episode since so much. And I have come to the conclusion, I've already written a rating for this and that rating is probably way too high because I've come to the conclusion that I also kind of love this.
2: (laughs) Yay!
1: (laughs) Fantastic! (laughs) Doesn't mean we're not going to rip it apart, yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I want to tear this episode a new one because it's great, but it's also dog shit. (laughs) (laughs) That said, I wonder what this episode is about. Why don't we summarize it in some sort of bite-sized chunk of, what you call it? Who? Let's! Time for us to synopsize. Blubify and summarize. So take a pew. And, and grab a brief. And, and a listen to this overview. Yeah. This free-for-all. We like to call it a size size chunk of who. <laughs> chunk of who? In a desperate bid to finally witness something of interest in the universe and enable her character arc to culminate in something even remotely meaningful, Mel B compels the <laughs> Seventh <laughs> Doctor to take her to a block of flats with a rooftop pool. The titular Paradise Towers, however, is less Pleasantville, more heavenly haven, and instead of opulence and leisure, our two time travellers are met with graffiti and grime.
3: Residents of Paradise Towers include colour-coded badass lasses, cannibal golden girls, cowardly Rambo, and neo-fascist caretakers employing oversized murder tanks as cleaners. Did I just say murder tanks? You betcha. Because gigantic white death machines with nary a feather duster but an abundance of drills patrol the carry doors in search of human vermin to feed to a pair of smoky neon eyes in the basement.
1: Instantly separated, Doc and Mel B gung-ho their way through this overacted dread prequel, team up with the least likely or deserving of locals, and or saunter into obvious traps. Wherever they turn, they're either assaulted by geriatrics, analphabets, or bureaucrats. Nowhere is safe in Paradise Towers. The noblest of goals propelled them on their adventure, though, for Doc will not rest until he reveals the villainous architect in the crypt. And Mel really wants to go for a swim. <laughs> Allegory and <in> shoes.
0: <laughs> Beast go over. You are welcome. Aren't you just? Television has
3: come a long way, hasn't it? Yes, telly has come a long way. Perhaps too far. How so? Budgets? It takes so long to make anything. Everything costs like a million pound a minute, like building a motorway per mile, the televisual analogue. Isn't it just cheap and cheerful, what we have in front of us here? Is it cheap and Because che-
0: effectively, whilst watching this, I I felt like a child had put it together. As in, an adult had written it, lots of adults were participating in it, and then a child had gone, Action! Action! Ah! Cut, I guess. Whatever. I'm done. Let's not put any more effort into this. It's done.
1: I think the vibe of it felt more to me like it was a play than television at a lot of points. I don't know if it was mostly the Kangs that gave me that vibe. But this whole broken down speech that's a little bit childish, a little bit just different mode of saying things. I don't know. Seemed like it had come straight out of a book into a play versus scripted for television. I don't know why. Oh,
0: it's interesting that you bring that up. I hated their speech, and even now, after I've decided I might love this serial, I still hate their speech. I think I hate any kind of future sci-fi that sort of is pseudo-dystopian, where for no reason whatsoever, grammar has gone right out the window.
3: Or, just evolved in interesting, unexpected directions. That's not what's happened here, though. (laughs) Someone forgot the word for dead, and they did the best they could with the polar opposite. Okay,
0: let's start with the Kangs. here. Here's an introductory question about the Kangs. Is this the only generation of Kangs that's ever lived here?
3: I believe so, because the doctor says that their parents would have been the ones to lock up the great architect in the basement.
0: Yeah this makes no sense to me.
3: Makes complete sense because all teenage kids want to hide what's really going on, what they're doing with their friends from their parents. So they develop a kind of insular lingo and without any input from outside the building, that became all they spoke in after their parents died and it makes complete sense. Jim, come on, back me up here, man. This does not make sense at all, right?
1: (laughs) I assume, like, grammar has changed. It's not just the Kangs. But then, that doesn't happen with the Rezis. No, you're right. It's a thing. Exactly. Just it hasn't happened King. with
0: the resis or with the caretakers It's just the Kangs they were old enough to speak English in order to modulate their English after their parents had left and what died in the war is did they all go to the war? Did they take their sons regardless of how old they were with them? But they didn't remember their names so some of them are called Binliner and whatever else
1: Fire Escape.
0: Fire Escape. No, I feel like this does not make sense. They don't even know, yeah, no, yeah, I don't get it. Also, where did their crossbows come from? I think the thing that
1: is problem is the time frame and that only comes in right at the end and most of it is through this throwaway line of Doc saying, your parents did this. Your parents locked up the great architect. But I'm not convinced that it happened in, say, 20 years or whatever. It seemed like this is a more long process that's meant these little sub-societies have formed. They've been cohabiting for decades and decades.
3: Yeah, there's also a line near the beginning where the Doctor says Paradise Towers won all sorts of architectural awards in the 21st century. So I don't know if Mel is from 1980-something, but relative to her... It can only have been a couple of generations at most until they all got locked in here.
1: Oh, wow. I hadn't realized that time frame. I have a vague feeling in my head about the quality of this serial throughout the different episodes. And my journey, basically, was entrance to the serial, what the fuck is happening, don't know if I like this, and then very quickly was just, you know what, fuck it, I'm on board. And... (laughs) first episode actually ended, I was pretty damn impressed with what was happening. I was like, yeah, this is great. And then it went downhill every episode after that. And the big, big downhill was when the caretaker, uh, careta- yeah, the caretaker, the, the chief caretaker gets turned into the robot great architect. And then it's just Oh, like, that
0: was a downhill moment for you? <laughs> Hell yeah. I thought that was mesmerizing. I was so happy with that. That was a great move.
1: Well, the act of it happening was fine, but then the performance of Richard yeah. Bryce, and Richard fucking Bryars just, I don't know what, scraping the barrel of shit acting to come out with that.
0: (laughs) Who is Richard Bryars? Because I saw in trivia that he is somewhat legendary and it was considered a really big win. They wanted a celebrity, so they cast him, but I don't recognize him.
1: I know him pretty much exclusively, I think, from The Good Life. Drew, you must know him from some stuff.
3: He played Tom in The Good Life. I think he was in the Monarch of the Glen in later years, in the 1990s to 2000s on
0: BBC One. I've not heard of either of those two.
3: Yeah, he was Mm. was pretty famous for a long time. He was the voice, or the narrator rather, of Rhubarb and Custard. Oh, Leon. No idea. Absolutely. No, (laughs) shaking my head inaudibly over here. Unavoidable. (laughs)
1: So sad. At this particular time, what are we, what it be nineteen eighty seven? I forget how far I don't we've know. come. Hey, yes, Drew, you're The, man with the
0: stats.
3: Fifth of October, nineteen eighty seven. Oh, at the end
0: of the year. Oh, <laughs> exciting! <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay.
0: Yeah, I got really, I got really squeaky and happy about that. That's really cool. Interesting. Uh, but okay, so hang on. Sorry, so yeah. Jim, so you said that you didn't like his performance
3: as Mum, rather the ever living. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I will destroy everything
0: I thought it was fantastic I loved that his uniform inverted in color notice
3: that <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a nice touch I saw that his face went all silver
1: like it inverted I assumed something it just got a silver brush out and covered it all but the colour oh swapped. maybe that is
0: what it, it was I thought it went from black and grey to grey and black but yeah, I goodness. may very well be mistaken you know what I'm not gonna go back and rewatch it <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to now have the illusioned recollection of this serial as a really good one I don't want to disillusion myself with the truth
3: yeah watch this serial once shame on it watch it twice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Still shame on it, but also a little bit on you.
1: <laughs> so just dialing right. back to Richard Breyers quickly, because I have pulled up his Wikipedia page. So yeah, mm-hmm. actually, the good life was a lot earlier than I thought it was. I thought that would have gone into the eighties, but it's just mid to late seventies. So at this point, he probably wasn't known for a lot. There was this ever dec- decreasing circles, which I think was quite popular, but I never watched. I'm not really aware of that. But this that he was basically in that the time that this serial happened. So he was still in his big I'm on BBC all the time part of his career, probably. So yeah, right, I get yeah, that yeah. it was a big big win for them to get him in this serial. I'm just not convinced his Abilities were used to their fullest, and apparently it is a bit of a trivia note that he ignored direction to on toning down that performance. And really, oh, I love it!
3: Think it's bad? <laughs> oh, well done, Mister Briar's So big, <laughs> well done. <laughs> was kind of brave because he was known as we've summarized for gentle middle of the road primetime comedy and here he's playing an ss officer by way of 1984 yeah and then he turns into Mumro, and his eyes are on stalks five minutes from the end when pex is leading him through the building and he's saying, are you- Get frightened and he could not be overacting anymore. I have never seen <laughs> anyone go that far and it was so against type and against the director, against everybody's wishes, but damn it, it's what we'll remember. But,
0: but yes, agreed, but also everyone is overacting is in this. he's I would say in terms of acting, I probably have the least problems with him. <laughs> his performance. No, there there are so many members of the cast who clearly could have done with an evening class or two. So what does it matter? Maybe he saw how his peers were performing and just went, fuck it then! I will too! And it fits in. It fits in really well. I think that can be said about him, because he clearly has talent, but then you look at someone like Pex, and you're like, "Mm, that that might just be the absence of it. That overacting might just be someone overcompensating. (laughs) It might be, I don't know, I've not seen, I didn't look him up on IMDb, maybe he has a stellar career
1: i haven't looked him up either i think looking him up why i am letting myself like this and it does feel like i'm letting myself like this like it feels like there's enough about this that i should be shitting all over it and say it's a pile of crap but i am mostly thinking and this is what i took from it when i was watching it as well that it's tongue-in-cheek so all these bad performances are exactly what they're meant to be. All the weird dialogue is exactly what it's meant to be. But I am 99% convinced it's not meant to be tongue-in-cheek. It's meant to be serious and gritty and dramatic.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you do also have a skinny, muscle-bound idiot, but <laughs> the emphasis on the skinny, who bursts through a door. Twice. Twice, exactly. <laughs>
3: <laughs> they had only just fixed that door the second. Time. All right,
0: so that's another one of my questions. Well, How do they fix the door
3: when do they fix the door who fixes the door don't (laughs) know i imagine that after he's burst through the first two times they construct a spare door so it'll be quicker if if on the second occasion they'd be like damn it that was our one spare i'm sure they just cut that line Right, okay. Up Pex's other credits. <laughs> yeah. here we and go. And there's only one that follows Doctor Who. He plays a gardener in a TV movie called An Affair in Mind and then disappeared from it. Yeah.
1: Staying on cool. actors, okay. quickly, because mm-hmm. we were commenting a serial or two ago on how we were collecting people from Keeping Up Appearances. <laughs> yeah. We got another yeah, one.
0: We'll take it away. We did. Who? <laughs>
1: Ju- Judy Cornwell, she is one of the, yeah, the kind of head resi at the end after the two most obvious cannibals got killed. <laughs> oh, she's unclear if she is a cannibal as well. I'm not quite sure.
0: I don't think she is. I have a theory about this. Yeah. Yeah. She was, was she the neighbor or something like that? I feel like she might've been the neighbor in Keeping Up Appearances.
1: She, yeah, I think, I think they were neighbors. We previously had her husband. I think he was the. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The slob. He was the slobby guy, yeah. I think I think that was her husband. There we go.
2: Stick
0: with (laughs) us, Podcast Land. You're about to get a full set.
1: (laughs) Well, we know we we never get Bouquet, do we? But we've got everyone else but
0: we did have we had Mr. Bouquet on one. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, true.
1: I meant I meant Mrs. Bouquet.
0: (laughs) And the slob, the guy who's always wearing sleeveless things on keeping up appearance. Was wearing sleeves. His arms were covered in this. What range? <laughs> this man is a, <laughs> a true thespian. Right, okay. Right, we've got a ping pong and your turn.
3: I've only got one sorry excuse for an opening gambit. Absurd. Did anyone, did anyone else get bizarro Amy and Rory vibes from Mel being trailed everywhere by a doting pex? Just desperately trying to impress <laughs> <That's> it. It.
1: <laughs> No, I can't say I did, but I I kind of get what you're going going for. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, retrospectively, yes, definitely. You're right. <laughs> Love it. Why did she let him walk around? Like, wh- wh- what? what is their dynamic?
3: What does she think of him?
1: I'm pretty sure she thinks he's a fuckwit, but feels sorry for him.
3: Yeah, that's crucial. Mel has compassion for this utterly pathetic man.
1: There's also
0: that really weird scene, though, where he has taken her, possibly inadvertently, to the Kang headquarters, Kang HQ, and they are speaking very very loudly about what a coward he is cowardly i think th-
3: cutlet, cowardly cutlet.
0: they even say he didn't dare go to war like he he hid or something when there was a fight and mel's reaction is one of sincerely looking at him at pex and going pex is is that true say it isn't so and he's like yeah it is and and her react her follow-up reaction is one of just, well, in that case, I'm sorry, but we can't walk together anymore, and she just heads off. And that seems to be entirely disjointed, as in that that doesn't tally with the entire rest of their relationship on screen. The rest of it is sort of, he's he's a puppy who's just following her around. He's cute, doesn't really dare, whatever, wants to bark, doesn't really dare, bites, yada yada yada. But but so what is that? Is there, is there for a moment? I feel, I'm babbling here, someone interrupt me. I feel like there's a moment where she is expecting something else from him and is really disappointed disappointed to find that he is not the Rambo character that he purports to be.
1: I think I just hadn't remembered that. My memory surrounding that cowardly cutlet thing, you're talking about at the end when everyone is sort of meeting up and stuff. I was thinking she actually was defending him at that point and was telling the Kangs to basically pack it in.
3: I think Leon is talking about a bit where the blue Kangs come along and capture them and say, everybody knows about Pex's backstory. And he's like, really? And that's when she's disappointed. And then she would leave him alone forever, except she then falls straight back into the clutches of Tilda and Tabby and he saves her life and thus buys himself a second chance.
0: Yeah, I think you're completely right about that. Uh-huh.
3: Was there an original
0: intention to write
3: them as some kind of
0: love interest, maybe? She gives him a peck on the cheek. Could there be something there?
3: Ooh, double meaning to the name. Oh, yeah. I think it was all about his underdeveloped Ah. pectorals.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I literally didn't realise his name had an X in it when I first wrote it down. It's like, oh, he's called Pex. Interesting.
3: (laughs) It's because he couldn't spell bicep. Yeah. (laughs) B-Y-S. Gotta fit an X in there somewhere. (laughs) Biceps.
2: Yeah.
1: How did how did he get this like he he appears saying he's going to put the world of Paradise Towers to rights like how did he get this persona? Like he he decides not to go to the war or he's on the yep. way to the war and and then ditches it and manages to come back somewhere. I can't remember exactly how how oh, that
0: happened. is that how he has the bullets what is whatever it's called, the bullet belt?
3: The Rambo sash. Exactly. The name yeah. That? I can't
1: remember it. Is it a bandolier or something like that?
0: Oh, I think it is, Jim. Well, so right, so hang on. So I interrupted you guys. So he's on his way to war
1: and then he He AWOLs, basically, doesn't he? And he ends up on a ship coming back to Paradise Towers. I think that was the rough rough idea. But then he comes back. And is it just to hide the fact that he's a deserter, that he makes this persona and identity that actually he's been sent here and he's he's meant to be protecting people or something. Or is there something else going on? I just didn't quite buy him popping up as hero and it all just being a show.
3: It seems like a perfectly natural reaction to the psychological trauma inflicted on him by everybody's rejection of any purpose for him. He's already talked himself out of his generation's assumed purpose in the war. And so he's like, well, I'll, I'll prove it to these people. Like, however many times they say, I can't do anything and I'm just ruining the scenery. I'm bending the scenery while everyone else is chewing it. And I just sound like a local BBC radio DJ. I don't care. I'm going to win them over in the end. I've got one plan and I'm going to stick to it because I need to be myself. I need to be Pex. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel like we have You're to uh, looking for
3: complexity in text.
1: No, this is this is the problem. I am trying too hard to look into things that shouldn't be looked into. But also, as a little side note, Drew, seriously, career in some kind of DJing is calling.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So this guy super cowardly super strong. This guy could single-handedly have won the war. He's a, he, he vandalizes a corridor lamp and just bends its steel. It's like a cast-iron lamp. And he bends it over his shoulders. Just go, hey, look what I did. And, yeah, that's fucking insane. You're an X-Man. This is crazy. <laughs> go and win the war, you idiots.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not yeah. sure uh, how, uh, how many battles are won by bending lamps, but you make a point. And I didn't really process this afterwards. At the time, I was just like, yeah, well, the hell's happening but afterwards I was like yeah what the hell was happening was that a prop lamp he had set up so he would look strong if he walk, walks down this corridor with someone he just knows right the second one down i'll, I'll rip it off and unbend it is made of plaster
0: <laughs> i read a bit of trivia about the casting of pecs and it was that originally he was intended to be this actual muscle-bound chap they wanted to they wanted to cast english sylvester stallone English Arnold Schwarzenegger, but there was no one available on casting lists in the UK at the time with sufficient muscle mass. So they went the opposite direction and just went, actually, you know what? It could be kind of fun if we cast someone who is tiny, who is really just a skinny coward. They
3: could have gone a lot further with that though. He was misoform rather than a string beat. Some definition yeah. to his.
2: Own.
0: Absolutely, yeah. But it seems like little scenes like that, the bit where he bends steel or where he manages to rugby tackle an android ish fella <laughs> soundbite, that must be, or they must be remnants of the original script idea when he was actually Schwarzenegger-ish.
3: Oh, yeah, because the Doctor tries it on with Mumra and just bounces off him and gets cuffed and then slammed into the wall over and over again.
1: Actually, you know what? Pex pulls Doc off him at that point and Doc gets knocked out by Pex throwing him into a wall as well.
0: Yeah, very odd. (laughs) That's an actual directorial choice. (laughs) Yes. Someone went, make that happen on screen, please. Yeah. Great. Who wrote this, by the way?
3: Stephen Wyatt was the writer.
0: Has Stephen Wyatt... Thank you for listening, Stephen. Uh, Has Stephen Wyatt ever written anything else for Doctor Who?
3: Or anything else of note? He wrote one other serial, coming in Series 25, The Greatest Show in the Galaxy.
0: Oh, fairly legendary, I believe. Interesting. Okay. Such a
3: humble title.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It
3: better be. I just have a point to add to earlier. Jim described his journey throughout the four parts. I found that part one was okay, part two was definitely poor, part three I thought was by far the strongest part, but then part four was something completely different, and so it was worse, but also it had that indelible Richard Briers mummy-fied performance. So yeah, that was my journey. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think because I couldn't I get on really performance, that's why the last episode is just really tainted for me.
3: But that was the most tongue-in-cheek part of all!
1: Well, yes, but there's tongue-in-cheek and there's tongue-in-cheek, you know? <laughs>
3: <laughs> It's really
0: I'm I'm flummoxed By these reactions Of yours it, For me Part one Was by far The worst one By far yeah. And the main reason For that Was that I hadn't Realised that this Was not an actual Serial It was either Farcical Or it was a parody Of itself Or it had just Decided to go Fuck it The BBC is gonna Cut off our Our budgets Who cares Let's just Build a bunch of Props and have a laugh Whatever it was It wasn't to be Taken entirely seriously And it wasn't until part two slash part three that i realized this i went okay i guess i can appreciate
3: it for what it is maybe yeah i also really liked the kang's charitably you'd call it playfulness with language like i like people messing around with the rules of stuff because i'm a proofreader by day something else in the evening dabbling in the dark arts of messing around with rules It seemed like great fun. But boy, were they annoying when they couldn't refrain from saying the same thing 25 times. Like, Red Kang's the best. Red Kang's the best over and over again. Scaredy Cat, Scaredy Cat. Yeah. 10 times too long.
1: And when it divulged into just sounding like a playground, that was weak. But I think... What I liked about the first episode, but while it took me a little bit to warm to it, was it suddenly just kind of seemed, you know what? They're doing this. They're sticking to it. It's consistent. I get it. And sometimes we don't get that in a lot of classic serials. It's like, this random thing happened. And then this random thing happened. And it's like, who the fuck are you? What are you doing here? But actually, I feel like as bonkers as this serial is, it all, because it's not obviously a bottle episode, but it's contained in this one environment, it makes sense that there are just these little disparate groups There aren't many of them. It's not like a one village, one planet thing. So a load of the cliche bad things from sci-fi in general, but particularly classic who kind of went out the window and this turned into a more contained and weirdly structured serial. And I think this is maybe where I get the kind of, it feels like a bit like a play idea because obviously there aren't that many sets. A lot of it is cleverly done with, oh, here's a gangway up here. We're looking down on this other set Like we've made a split level set just so that we can film things a bit differently, but we have haven't moved anywhere and it's like I think it was actually quite well done in that regard Hmm.
3: Okay, I agree if it's consistently internal it must therefore be internally consistent (laughs) and it was batshit crazy but they committed boy did they commit hell yeah I'm going to segue off one thing that you said there, Jim,
0: to another one of my introductory questions. You said this isn't a one village planet, which is what we normally get in in Doctor Who, actually in sci-fi in general. But does anything actually exist outside of this tower block?
1: I didn't pay enough attention watching the brochure vid, to be honest, I guess. It could just be an empty planet. I don't know.
0: No, but in general, in this serial, does anything exist outside of this tower block? For some reason, neo-fascists have been allowed to take charge of this thing using tanks and shit. The police aren't rolling up and going, seems like people are going missing, maybe we should investigate this. No one's going, this place is a hellhole, we're going to move next door. So... For all intents and purposes, this could be a one tower block planet. That's my point.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I guess they were trying to set up that everyone's left for this war. So even if there are things outside, maybe they're empty. Maybe there's a similar tower block three miles away which has a random group of people in but it, they're not being killed by cleaners they're just living with the resources they've been left with i don't know i felt like it didn't matter i didn't care weirdly
3: okay all right fine yeah cool great well, i think all possibilities are on the table either the planet has been ravaged to nuclear wasteland status orphan planet but for this one tower block or maybe they just haven't quite got around to it it looks completely abandoned from the outside. There's no sign of life, but maybe the population's too small to necessitate refurbishing it. And they're like, I will get to that eventually. But... No, whatever. Okay. Everything we need is right here in Paradise Towers.
1: Maybe this is why the well, caretakers not. cling to the rule book so much. It's because they know there's nothing else. There is no other authority. They're it. And so they have to... They are the law! Yeah, they have to abide 100% by the rules they've been given. Otherwise, all of society breaks down and they're to blame.
0: Maybe actually when you started comparing this to a theatrical production, that's sort of key to it, that nothing exists beyond the stage in a sense. I feel like this serial does a terrible job of world building, like absolutely dreadful job of world building because we have no idea what world it sits in. We know that there are other buildings around, but if there are other buildings around, then you don't just know people in the house you live in. <laughs> you might know someone across the street, and if you know someone across the street, you'll talk about the situation there. Like it'll be, it'll form part of the narrative.
3: I think it would just open up too many questions. It would undo the bottle nature that is necessary for this episode to be as it is. Surely.
1: I guess it's just outside
3: intervention. Then,
1: yeah, but it's missing.
3: Weird, kooky little bubble is burst.
1: it's, It's missing that little bit that says, in unquestionable fashion, this is a bubble. Like for some reason, I was thinking of Midnight, the New Who one, where they say this is a little leisure thing on this otherwise uninhabitable planet. And you can get a little bus from one place to another, but that's it. You know, you are contained. We've told you this. Bam. Don't worry about it anymore. Yeah. And they f- didn't really deliver that in this one. Even though we had so many opportunities. We're literally watching the brochure vid. I don't remember anything the brochure vid setting this up. they it could have really easily say, see the wonderful sunsets on this planet, which otherwise you wouldn't get to experience in Paradise Towers. You know, I mean, what, what, what even makes this paradise? The
0: did this... Yeah, I know. That's Pop that pool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's just quickly get the pool out of the way before we re- maybe have more notes about the world here. But yeah, let's pool. Is that pool meant to be big enough for all of the prospective residents of Paradise Towers?
3: All Four floors. floors. What the fuck?
0: <laughs> is there just there's just one pool, right? I'm I'm not mistaken. It there is one pool. That pool is the size of a living room.
1: (laughs) Not only the size of a living room, it has fucking living room furniture. Mel plonks herself down (laughs) in the big leather armchair. It's like, what's happened to decor in the future that we're just shoving living room furniture next to pools?
3: (laughs) It's all consistent with the great architect. He is imagining himself sitting in his leather armchair being like, even if someone were to drop from a helicopter, they would have nowhere to sit. they would have to stand to death
0: (laughs) very very possible yeah
1: (laughs) i think i read that was filmed on location though like it was filmed at an actual hotel at paradise
0: towers
1: (laughs) elmswell house is the name given so maybe it's not somewhere that's kitted out with furniture but why don't just film it at an actual pool for christ's sake
0: yeah i don't get it well, I was going to say before about the other parts of the town. So the architect has been credited with building lots of other stuff in this particular world, on this planet, I'm assuming. Oh, no, was no.
3: across space.
0: Across space? Fine. The bridge of perpetual motion is one thing. <laughs> I really want to know what that looks like. And some city that was... Miracle s- City. Miracle City. He started murdering people who moved there because he wanted it all to himself. He built other places. Other places do exist. Other people must have lived there until he killed them. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I was going to say, if everyone who lives nearby has been killed in the war, for example, has the Doctor just taken them to the wrong time?
3: Taken who to the wrong time, Mel? Him and Mel,
0: yes. Why does he take them there and go, oh yeah, shit, there's a war. There was just a war. Now is not the right time to come here. He has no idea that this has happened.
1: I guess this is a big <laughs> question for why they end up in the places they end up at the time that they end up because most of the time when the TARDIS lands somewhere it's not a great time to be landing there there's normally some shit happening
0: <laughs> yeah that's true but normally he does also know or they also know more about history you know the local history hey we're going to this place somehow she found out about Paradise Towers right so he must know what Paradise Towers is i would assume that the doctor would also go yeah Paradise Towers that place that was in a, on a really nice planet up until A nuclear war wiped it out. Let's go there beforehand or whatever.
3: Yeah, I guess maybe the war is missing from the databank somehow. The Doctor is under the illusion that it doesn't matter when he rocks up. It's paradise from day one to its ultimate decommissioning. Cool. You mentioned talking about the motivations of the architect. I can provide some insight. Please do. At primary school, in years three and four, we had a great big bucket of Legos, and all the kids would play with it, but I developed this weird fixation with it. I started making all the Legos into this, and I know it should be Lego, into this giant tower. I'm not joking. It was basically Paradise Towers. But the joke was those tiny little two-wheel pieces that you put on like wagons I would put those on the bottom of the tower. And the joke was that, that this was an incredibly unwieldy, enormous car. And I made it in this ju- this completely featureless block, exactly like this is. And if any of the other kids messed with it, I would get really territorial, territorial, And shoo them off it because I was basically mad autistic, and that's all this architect is. Poor lamb, he's just a bit neurodivergent. He's
0: he's (laughs) a he's a serial murderer. I just want to put this into context. Yeah, I'm sure it's really comfortable up on that high horse, but seriously, this dude kills a lot of people. Yeah, and somehow. at least alludes to wanting to eat them. He's very hungry. He wants to. He doesn't try to take over other bodies. He just consumes them somehow. Yeah, maybe give him a break, but don't give him that big a break. Is maybe what I'm he trying went to a say.
3: Further than I did, but I didn't have that opportunity. Who's
0: to say? There, but for the grace of God. <laughs> So how did he end up being digitized in the basement?
1: This is, yeah, this this aspect of the plot I am very unclear of. Because apparently the Miracle City shit went down and everyone was like, Oh, bad, great architect. Don't do that. And he fled across the galaxy, popped up again a bit anon- anonymously, even though he's still calling himself the great architect. And everyone's like, Oh, you're the great architect. That's nice. But then he finishes this, something happens... And then everyone goes, oh, wait, you're a murderous bastard. We should somehow take you out of your body and imprison you in the basement. Right. Yeah,
3: because at some point they're like, you promised, and he's gone all megalomaniacal. Rubbish, rubbish. And yeah, then they put him in a
0: a subterranean bin. Why not just either put him in prison or cast him into the nuclear wastelands or, in fact, kill him?
3: Dude, there's a war on. This is the best option available. It's practical. Wait, the
0: best option available is to digitize him, build giant neon eyes for him, put him in. (laughs) charge like connect him to a giant computer next to a thing that transfers his consciousness into flesh there's got to be an easier option (laughs) he's built a tower at the top of which you are really really subject to gravity chuck him over the edge problem solved
3: we don't know how big this planet is maybe that high up he would just float he'd be in the planet's i don't know exosphere the water is subject to
0: gravity as well. Mel swims around in it a little bit. The that's true, that's true. robot crab is is having a blast.
3: yeah any yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> physics none of us can hazard any kind of guess as to in what form he is this neon what, what are they like? frogs eyes sort of reminiscent, just going, hungry, over and over again. Hungry, hungry. That was a thing that went on a bit too long as well. He was one hungry, mm-hmm. hungry hippo.
1: Yeah. The thing, like, I didn't mind that there's this thing in the basement that wants to eat people. is like, pretty standard fare. <laughs> That's
3: what Class 2 but... is all about.
1: Exactly. The thing that I didn't get is... It seems that the Great Architect was after a body all this long that he could take control of and inhabit. And then after trying lots and lots of bodies and discarding them all, realizes the one that has been bringing him all the bodies is the best one to actually take. It's like... This is not a nice person who's, like, rewarding loyalty. Why not try the chief caretaker first, if seems like that's a viable option?
0: Does he try transferring his consciousness into all the other bodies? I don't think so. He kills all the other people.
1: I got the impression that for some... Like, he, there's a line, I'm sure, that the monstrous Great Architect says, like, they weren't compatible, or, or something to that effect, like... There was an obvious test that that had happened. Maybe okay. Yeah, I take it back. I didn't realize that. Interesting. Imagined it. I don't know.
0: No, I'd like to think that you're right and I'm wrong about that because that makes way more sense.
1: (laughs) We have a third party to break the tie. I
3: found the line. Sorry, I found the line because the bodies the cleaners brought were not right. Not right, what for? For me to live in!
1: There, Jim remembered entirely correctly. Yeah, which just makes the whole thing really, really suss now. It's like, what are you doing? Why, why aren't you just trying everybody? Literally. Well, I hmm. imagine
3: the chief caretaker's the nice last one. resort. Because look- he's the only one who's... By the way, what is this weird relationship? This, my, my pet. Oh, daddy. Daddy's <laughs> brought you another morsel. Like, <laughs> where, it must be in the rule book. I suppose that the chief caretaker would follow the regs and find this horrific thing in the basement and be like, "Yes, the logical thing is to feed you as many people who live here as it takes." Right?
1: I guess I'm so. Just letting you
3: die because what and who are
1: you? So, that, but that implies the great architect wrote the rule book after he was turned into. A disembodied thing oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> which i think probably has sure to be he has the access to case. A
3: printer. he's got a computer down there he just needs to hook it up to a yeah <laughs>
0: okay i'm gonna use that as a segue to another topic there is a scene let's talk sylvester mccoy a little bit there's a scene where sly mccoy uses said rulebook to escape Please, can can you regale us, both of you, with your impressions of this scene? Jim? cakes, go! You know the scene I'm talking about, right?
1: I do. The amazing scene where Doc treats everyone as stupid as they are and manages to escape yeah, by making up carried, rules. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. You say interesting. Uh, Drew, do you concur?
3: Well, I was a little disappointed that he didn't scale truly Machiavellian heights by just saying, oh, it is in the book and snapping it shut. And the guy's like, oh, what reason would he have to lie? (laughs) Let's get up, barely talking scene mate and do as he says. I did like the uh, the pickpocketing. Yeah, very
0: nice. Fingers. Very nice, yeah. You have to count to ten or whatever it was, because that's how long it will take me to escape this room or find the key card. I'm what sorry, what was that? I don't what know, keep say?
3: counting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't rules make sense? Oh, wait! The old Indiana Jones umbrella pulled in just before the door closes on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so, uh, old Sylvester yeah. was charming as heck in that which is probably why i'm giving it a big pass
3: (laughs) charming leon it's a
0: strong word hey i'm i'm not disagreeing i thought that was a shit scene when i watched it and it pained me it absolutely pained me because more so than most scenes doc wasn't being clever so much as taking advantage of complete idiots for that reason i didn't like it
1: yeah i don't don't sylvester
0: mccoy otherwise is great though
1: sorry jim yeah we should talk more about him do it leon
0: (laughs) He shows tremendous empathy and sympathy in his interactions with all other characters. Here, he is so immediately ethically immersed in this world that he just chats on the same level with all the kangs. He just he just does his thing, and and it's lovely. It's incredibly endearing.
3: Yeah, he's he's saying build, have happiness in all the right places without any archness or insincerity. Yeah, he does their weird. The longest hello ever. Did rim a salute of hellos.
1: Oh, nice reference there, Mr. Drew. Thank you. Most aggressive greeting ever is my note, particularly with the music that accompanies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of shit. But yeah, I'm definitely picking up what you're putting down, Leon, because I think partly Sylvester McCoy's acting, but probably mostly the way they're writing The Seventh Doctor in this serial. It's just he wants to talk to people. He wants to make sure they're okay before he does something, Like particularly with the Kangs. His relationship with the Kangs, I think, is incredible through this serial. He. He realises they don't understand things to his level, that's for sure. He has to change the way he wants to talk to them and get them to understand. But he never, it never seems like he's talking down to them. No, I totally agree.
3: Yeah, he gets frustrated and he cuts them off and he makes them listen, but he doesn't do so by hectoring or being snide in any way.
0: Yeah. So, Jim Cakes, in the last serial, I asked you, have we seen enough of this Doctor in this one serial to compare him, compare how we feel about him, with how we felt about the last Doctor and the Doctor before? And we kind of agreed that, no, he was a little bit too discombobulated in that first serial, in his debut serial, for it to be a legitimate comparison. How do you feel about it now? In fact, Drew, you also watched the last serial. Time in the room! That's the one. How, how do you guys feel about Sylvester McCoy?
1: Can go first. I- I'm definitely on on board right now. This serial solidified for me what I thought was going to be the kind of Doctor for the Seventh Doctor and there's just a couple of points in particular. I can't remember the exact setup, but he literally kind of sits down and starts talking things out or thinking things through. It was almost kind of like a reverse exposition where he was trying to like tell the chief caretaker what was going on, looking to see how the chief caretaker would react. And I think it's this. It's kind of like a mirror image of Tom Baker's whimsical maybe a little bit blustering going through a situation but is gonna solve the shit out of it where it's the same outcome but it's just a thinking approach it's a converse conversing rather than being a bit aloof or like Jumping over flower pots and yeah, I'm I'm on board for it. Interesting,
0: wow, a big statement there. Oh, okay, Drew, you have you seen other? Yeah, you've seen other classic Doctors. You were on the Five Doctors review.
3: <laughs> oh, that is first of all, Tom Baker was made out of wax. Yep, absolutely, you <laughs> betcha. I gather he, for most of his seven-year run, he was significantly less waxy. Mm-hmm. William Hartnell was alive when he played the Doctor originally, so no, I don't think I can really make. Okay, well, you have you have seen other Doctors. So how would you compare
0: Sly McCoy to those Doctors?
3: I think he stands to be a lot of fun. Okay. I really liked a scene Jim, I think, was alluding to where he starts off being interrogated by the chief caretaker. And there's the play with the lamp. And then when he turns the lamp on the chief caretaker... The caretaker really feels the heat and he's suddenly sweating buckets. And so, yeah, this doctor, he's not huge, but he's got a real presence. And even if I'm not going to be on another classic review for a while, I think I might be watching along. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm very glad to hear it. What a convert. I'm not as convinced
1: personally damn you yeah yeah
0: <laughs> no please Fuck, tell us why. i just said yeah. it i don't know if i'm judging sly mccoy here or if i'm judging the so far 100 percent of the two serials he's been in <laughs> but i'm i like him don't get me wrong i do like him he is he's much better than i feared he might be. Oh. But that might also be people misjudging his performance based on ever decreasing budget and faith oh. in this as a TV show. So that's very possible. But
3: firstly, I just saw a tweet from JD saying that. Sylvester McCoy is his least favorite doctor after hearing the direction he went in in Big Finish audios. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's that's super duper
0: interesting. Colin Baker I think is a similar case where they've kind of, in Big Finish, they've given him a chance to be a slightly more serious, less farcical doctor. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I, more than peter davison thanks for listening peter the impression
1: i have from possibly just one line that ace said in that uh new who thing that they all came back into the, the power of the doctor possibly yeah possibly the relationship between the seventh doctor and ace is gonna feel a bit harsh but him and mel definitely don't have any issues they seem to be getting along really well his presentation mm. through this serial and the one before is like he's not He's not angry. He's not telling people off. He's not being annoying. I don't know. He just seems to be getting shit done, doing some investigation, thinking things out.
3: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Forgive me. I guess I have a question about Mel. Mm. She seemed to take the Doctor regenerating completely in her stride. Oh, yeah. There have been no bedding in issues in any sense, thankfully, but in the sense of getting used to this new character, this new face, this new direction. In New Who, the companion really has to process that. And here they just haven't bothered with it at all.
0: Th- this is an odd dynamic. I don't think... Did you watch any of the Trial of a Time Lord? No. When Mel shows up, she also shows up with absolutely no backstory whatsoever. She's just suddenly the companion. As in, like, all of a sudden she's there. Okay. They've been friends for ages. Oh. They've... known each other for a long time they've traveled a lot around for a long time we have no idea when she arrived where she's from how she showed up why she chose to stay yada 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 so this
3: baker gave her the spiel and we've just been spared seeing it for the millionth time okay
0: yeah but not just that we don't understand the dynamic between the doctor and this companion in general because we've never been told what it is
3: Mm, right Maybe that's why I didn't perceive any particular depth to their interactions, like, at all. He was quite happy to see her again after being split from her for three parts. How do you guys feel about Mel, in general? How do you feel about Mel?
1: She's still a bit up and down for me. I kind of, yeah, I kind of like, like I said before in previous serials, she's got quite a gung-ho attitude. She tries to do stuff, but either the plot doesn't let her, or she gets captured, or, I don't know, just... It never kind of pays out in the same way that, say, Leela would have just gone and knifed someone, and it would have been job done, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably murdered a lot of people with, what was it called? The Janus Thorn? Yeah, Oh, yeah. It's good stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, She's still
0: screaming constantly.
1: Not nearly as much in this one. I think there was just one cliffhanger scene where she's screaming because she's about to be eaten by some old ladies. You would scream, to be fair. Yeah,
3: there's a pitchfork aimed at her breast.
0: Yeah How do you feel about her, Drew?
3: I feel like there have been worse companions Okay New who, even I'm not really perceiving much of a core I think Bonnie Langford is game for anything Any script can throw at her, apparently She turns up and she smiles and she sounds peppy mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know who this person is Yeah Is she a fully formed person at all? I can't say
1: What's Leo We saying? We
0: didn't get to see any of
3: Well, oh, I hate her Oh dear,
1: <laughs> uh, oh, dear
0: thanks for listening, Bonnie. Th- this has nothing to do with Bonnie Langford, by the way. Like Bonnie, I completely agree with what you just said, Drew. She is totally game. Like she is throwing herself into this role. She's playing the hell out of it. Well done, Bravo. That role is shit, okay? And <laughs> uh, and I don't think that anyone on the writing staff, on the production staff, has figured out what they want to do with this companion. She is constantly screaming. She is constantly doing the damsel in distress shtick. But at the same time, she's trying to be gung-ho, but she's not quite... They haven't figured out what her strengths and weaknesses are. She had a couple of talents that were highlighted in Trial of a Time Lord that were at least at least one of them. No, I think possibly both of them were alluded to in Time and the Rani, namely that she has personal perfect recall, which never yeah. comes to bear here, and that she is a computer expert, which <laughs> never factors in.
3: I'm laughing at the irony that they forgot that she has perfect recall. <laughs> yeah, and she's a
0: computer expert, and the bad guy is in a computer. I feel like at some point, at least at least the sort of failed attempt at besting the bad guy in Act 2 could be Bonnie Langford as Mel B doing some hackery shit, because that's what her character's meant to be able to do, but they never give her the chance. Oh, they
3: did exactly the same thing with Clara decades later, though. So... It's a common mistake. Yeah, but I
0: bet you that in the next serial, they're going to make a reference to how, or maybe not the next one, but very soon, they're going to make a reference to how she has this talent. And that's the thing that she's known for. They did a very similar thing with Perry, where we talked about this, Jim, where for the longest time, she had absolutely no talent. Then they made her a botanist. And then when we were in a plant episode, they forgot that she was a botanist. (laughs) It's like, like, (laughs) fuck off everyone. Like, why are you doing this to your companions? Mm -hmm. And I, yeah for all of the above reasons i'm really sorry i'm not buying mel b sorry
3: i'd like to call attention to one point which is right at the end when it seems like for the last time pex is about to wuss out yet again and it's when the great architect is slamming the doctor repeatedly pex is making his escape but he comes up against mel at the end of the corridor But she doesn't say anything. She is just there for him to wordlessly bounce off and realize what the best thing to do would be. The brave course of action by imagining her response, seeing her eyes. Any real person would be like, Pex, what the hell are you doing? Help the doctor. You're the one so-called muscle-bound hero we've got left. But she she says nothing. She remains completely silent. She's being just used instrumentally by the writers.
1: Yeah. To be fair, though, that scene was mostly a pile of shit, so. <laughs> <laughs>
3: but it doesn't have to be 100% shit. <laughs> no.
1: You know what? I think I would submit as a retro rewrite to get just a little bit in there and a reference to her computer skills. Like, the lift is probably a really fancy lift that's got computery bits in it. It gets so right. stuck yes. going up and down. And then the way out of it is Peck smacks the fucking thing. No, she should have.
3: Kicks it three times. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, she, she should have hacked it.
1: Yeah, hacked it. And then they could have got out. Agency.
3: Uh, retro rewrite
0: of the week. That's absolutely right.
3: I'm laughing because I'm in the transcript. And this computer expert, this tech genius, sees that the lift has juddered to a halt at floor B. And her response is to say, where are we now? Oh she must have forgotten. That's, yeah.
0: Yeah. This. Oh. <laughs> I cannot stand <laughs> Melby i I'm so sorry. I hope I'm wrong, though. I hope they figure her out at some point.
3: Yeah. The converse of that is when the pantomime starts, because part three is so pantomimey, and she has control over what's going to go wrong in the lift. Wouldn't it be terrible if we got stuck between floors and then the lights started flickering oh, yeah. and everything happens on cue, but it sets up Pex saying, I'm afraid of the dark. <laughs> and I love that moment so much. And they cut away from it so
1: quickly. I enjoyed it very much. Oh, I think I missed that line. That's really nice,
3: <laughs>
0: Leon. You must have about fifteen introductory questions left. I have
1: so many left.
0: An hour and twenty minutes past the introduction. How about this? Does this episode invent the DVD, and why
1: is there a DVD in this? I'm now looking up when DVDs came out because they are older than you think. But no, it was
3: 1995. <laughs> ah, nice. Because I just picked so it, it as a CD, a CD. Then fine. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a cd which cds had been around before 1987 that's for sure but i got
3: the occasional low-res shitty short video on one
1: yeah i enjoyed seeing it i felt like that was a proper oh my god we're we're so in the 80s it's a fucking cd now look at technology advancing in front of my classic who watching eyes And it's like...
3: Yeah, this would have been introduced to utterly mind-fuck the audience. Like, whoa, cutting-edge stuff, Doctor Who.
0: That's clearly the only reason he takes it out of the player. Yeah, He doesn't need the video of paradise towers which like why is that even on a cd (laughs) but he doesn't need it he absolutely doesn't need it but he takes it out in order to flash it in front of the camera just to go fuck you with a bbc we've got this technology it's great okay i'm fast forwarding to the next question why did no one think to put a broom on the cleaners they are cleaners do you mean the scovox spritzers (sighs) it was worth it it was worth it for context Drew teased before we pressed record that he had the best nickname ever for the cleaners you left it exactly long enough for me to forget that you had teased that (laughs) well done very well played sir excellent nickname
3: yes i do mean the score spritzers (laughs) we don't know what they have on their undercarriage Uh why do they have a drill (laughs) do they need a
0: drill and a circular saw the claw i kind of get because it's like hey i gotta pick up someone's been littering i'm gonna pick up this starbucks cup whatever but yeah (laughs) are they mining vessels no
1: Maybe they clean up unused residential property from time to time and have to just knock it all down and build it again.
3: Yeah. Maybe they also moonlight as robot dentists.
0: Yeah. Okay, yeah, wow. Well, uh, I dread to think what creature has teeth that are large <laughs> enough for that drill. I think this is just a furtherance of the long-standing Doctor Who tradition of let's create robotic bad guys with entirely the wrong implements. So we've got like Daleks who have whisks. We've got cleaners oh, who just... have drills. Very soon we're going to have a TV repair droid that's equipped with a fleshlight. Like there's absolutely no congruence between whatever implement it is and what its purpose is. And I love it. I think these <laughs> these props are... You know what it made me think of? They made me think of the War Machines.
3: You've seen the robots from the War Machines?
0: The Doc serial, the War
3: Machines? I mean, it reminded me of Robot Wars, but I don't think that's what you're talking about. War Machines,
0: I think we made a reference to Robot Wars in that review. Ah. It was Nick and JD, as I recall. It was an attempt to create a robot that stood a chance at replacing the Daleks. Oh, okay. And it didn't, but it was like a smashy kind of robot, whatever. It was Large was imposing. They clearly put a lot of time and effort into this prop. Here, they've built a minimum of two of them.
3: Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot
0: of effort, a lot of money, a lot of time and effort has gone into the design of this one prop. Sorry, these two props, minimum. They look freaking crazy badass. I'm pretty sure we never encountered them again.
3: Yeah, there was only one thing that undercut their majesty, which is when they're in the brightly lit square Towards the end of part four, you can see that what appears to be like the, the facial outline, the the eyes, and the I don't know the sensor array they mm-hmm. have that's just tape, because under the bright lights the tape reflects all the lights. Oh wow! No, okay, yeah. Thought that counts,
0: and it works. Yeah, and I didn't notice for three and, and a half great. parts
3: it completely worked. Yeah, hey, it worked for four parts for me. <laughs> I
0: didn't even notice.
1: Good girl. I thought they were pretty gorgeous. Do you want to segue into like mm. production values in general? Because
0: yeah, let's do it. Take us away, dude.
1: Well, uh, maybe we've actually talked about all the points but like as a corridor heavy cereal i feel like the corridor carried or heavy cereal i do apologize <laughs> i thought they were quite nice actually there was this split totally level agree. thing that i mentioned earlier and they make good use of that looking down from that gangway a couple of times and there's this one yep. corridor that has like a, a semicircle array of windows at the end of it that looks very kind of like yes. um, under a railway kind of feel
0: Mm. it's really nice in fact yeah it's a stunning set
1: and all the robots are amazing. Like it, They made this little yellow guy in the swimming pool that you see about 20 seconds of. It's like, what? It's gorgeous.
3: Yeah. I thought the aquatic clean or whatever you want to call it, the way when Mel shot it, its eye popped out. I yep. thought that was a really nice little yeah. effect. Yeah. That's,
0: that scene did take me off a little bit though because it's like, wait, hang on. So you're telling me Pex has had a gun this whole <laughs> time. <Yeah. laughs>
3: He's been pointing it at people this whole time. Yeah, deal with the uh, pool crab bots he'd only shoot himself in the foot or the nads so
0: he's so useless it's amazing how worthless that character is does
1: does he actually drop his gun is that how mel gets it i'm not quite sure how that went down
0: no i think she goes give it to me he's like yeah here you take it (laughs) she takes it (laughs) she blows the crab in the eyeball and then he's like yeah i guess i've made that happen
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: I'm glad that he dies at the end. Fuck that guy. What no, Pex Lives. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, oh okay, can we talk about Pex Lives? Well, let me just
3: say that yeah. I also liked the lived in griminess and grottiness of the whole building. Yeah. I watched Dread because any excuse to rewatch Dread, Dread's yeah. amazing. If yeah, you haven't yeah. watched Dread, listen to us, watch it, watch it now. Watch it after we finish. And sure, it's on a, a millionth of the budget, but It's okay. Like, surprisingly okay. I could imagine that it doesn't even have to... Wait, sorry. Dread is okay? No, no. Dread is brilliant. I mean, (laughs) Paradise Towers, for what it is and the money spent on it, it's okay. Yeah. And I could imagine that, forget about a war raging outside, this is a tower block in the north... With five more years of Tory government waiting for levelling up money to finally reach it. That's exactly what is put on screen. It's realistic. I, I totally get it. Uh, I'm with you, man. Yeah. Peck lives!
0: <laughs> Pex lives. Yes. I'm assuming that Pex doesn't live. And that he is now, he's turned into a symbol. A cult figure.
1: Yeah. There will be a Pex in every generation.
0: Pex now embodies the spirit of revolution. Do you know what really ticked me off about that, though? How could they tag the wall that is right <laughs> next to the TARDIS, like right behind the TARDIS? In fact, that's,
3: that's the one place they couldn't do it.
0: Exactly the one place they couldn't. I didn't like that. But as as these things go, sure, I'm 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 very happy that he turns into a symbol. I think it would have been nice if Doc had come back out of the TARDIS, given everyone a an English grammar book, and then gone back into the TARDIS, but. <laughs> Pex is what we get. Pex is what we deserve, maybe. As no? a
1: pedant, I want to attack your pedantry and feel, and say that <laughs> there was enough room to walk around the TARDIS where it was parked. It wasn't up against the wall. Okay.
0: All right. Fine. You wanna <laughs> play that game, Jim Cakes. I get it. All right fine fine if you're gonna to resort to
1: facts i don't know if that's a fact i would have to watch it again to see
0: <laughs> i think you're probably right actually i'm sorry i am being a parent i apologize okay i'm fast forwarding to the next question here keeping this going how do the corridor phones work because no one seems to press any buttons on them
1: yeah thought control man future innit
3: it's just a constantly open line someone's left. everyone someone's left a phone off the hook somewhere and so, yeah, they can all just cock an ear whenever they fancy. I'm, I'm going to... Party line! I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chalk that down
0: as uh, insufficient, <laughs> if you will, but fine. I've got more questions, but
3: anyone's welcome to jump in. Well, there was another film this reminded me of slightly.
0: All right, here we go. Have
3: either of you seen Delicatessen.
0: Yes. Are you saying that because of the obvious cannibal ladies?
3: The obvious cannibal ladies, they all live in this building. It's claustrophobic.
0: Yeah, it's dark, all, dingy. Yeah, it's an it isolated
3: society. <laughs> the troglodysts are basically the Kangs with their stupid names and elaborate secret handshakes. I've forgotten about them. The trogl- Yeah, the troglodysts are their sort of underground revolutionary movement. Oh, yes, 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 of course. And they do all have stupid names, and they do have like patty cake, patty cake goings-on when they greet each other. Okay. So Jean-Pierre Jeunet may have been a little inspired by this. I wonder if it's possible. It would fit the time frame. This was 1987. Delicatessen was 1991. Wow. There's antics with waste disposal. So this is around about the time that he is writing it. Just before he starts writing it,
0: perhaps. Well, who knows? He
3: probably wrote it <laughs> and
0: then spent several years trying to get it into a production yeah. company. So yeah, yeah, interesting. That's that's a very yeah, that's an interesting comparison. I wouldn't have made it myself. That's that's great. Yeah, yeah. Also it really reminds me I want to rewatch that. She mm-hmm. could have gone a fucking Jeunet binge mm-hmm. that possibly culminates in Alien 4 Resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay, yeah, cool. Was Mel wearing a swimsuit underneath her dress all along? And is she now wearing a soaking wet one underneath her dress still?
1: No, because you're 100% dry if you dab yourself with a towel.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm sure she just screamed herself dry. Does that mean that she was wearing a swimsuit before, or is this just like an inexplicable cut to swimsuit?
3: Plenty of people wear their swimsuit underneath their clothes on the way to the pool. She just didn't expect it to take as long as it did. I suppose did. that
0: is a fair point. She knows that she's going to a pool. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That it, Take it back
0: completely. Fair enough.
3: Okay. What I would have liked would have been for Tibby or Tabby or whoever to thrust the pitchfork at her chest, and there's some logo flotation device on her <laughs> swimsuit or something, and just clangs off of it. Yeah, or the flotation device
0: pops. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. A Timmy Otabi question. Why don't the Golden Girls just eat the other lady?
3: Maddy? Yeah. That's not the done thing. You can't have intra-resi
0: cannibalism. Cannibalism is already intra-species gluttony. Gastronomy. <laughs> <laughs> Is is it worse if it's also your neighbour?
1: Oh yes, it would just be a uh, taboo and not a dog cricket.
0: Yes. Because it seems pretty clear that she is not herself a cannibal. There's that odd... In, in fact, I wonder what she subsists on in general, because there's that one scene where she pops around, and I can't remember what bones are on a plate. There are, like, leftover bones.
3: Oh, that's my favourite part. You've you've forestalled my favourite part segment, which is when Maddie says, people just don't vanish, do they? And Tabby says, no, no, of course not. There's always something left behind. <laughs> That's right. And she Puts covers... over it.
0: Exactly, yeah. So she covers her plate as though she has something to hide, meaning Maddie <laughs> isn't part of this thing.
3: No, she isn't. And later on, she's like, Other residents did this awful thing, but we're the good girls. We're the good golden girls. So I think you're on track
1: there. I don't necessarily disagree, but I feel like there's wiggle room because I'm sure she says something like... Like, all the resis have bad, some were worse than others, and I wasn't sure if it's just like they were doing it too often, but all the resies had done it.
3: I understood that as meaning we're bad for being bystanders and not protecting you or saving you from being eaten by the bucket load.
1: Yeah, also tracks, I suppose. Everywhere you cut it, mm. Maddie does not have clean hands either.
0: I wonder where all the comestibles are coming from, in general. We get to see them eat a rat at one point, or they have a rat skeleton.
3: There is an establishing shot at the beginning of parts two, three, and four, where you see the outside of the building. And it's mostly a silvery glass edifice reaching up into the sky. But I think there are trees or some sort of vegetation dotted around the top, so it's possible that on some upper levels, they are growing things.
0: Okay, that does explain where they get tea leaves and basil from. Yeah. Yeah, Okay, fair enough.
3: I had a problem with the Kang accents, and this is just a generational thing. They Mm -hmm. all sound like they've graduated from RADA last week. They're supposed to be yobs, but they all have this underlying gentility, this RP bred into them. They sound like Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory however much they try to be common, they're unfailingly well-spoken, even if they're saying silly words like unalive and no outgoings.
1: Well, I have two things on this. Mm -hmm. Firstly, to get it out of the way, and because it's happened twice, I find it so interesting to hear unalive in this because it's becoming a very popular phrase at the moment or has been for a while. (gasps) Uh Because of a, a skewed misunderstanding or I don't know what it is exactly... But people think if you say someone died or death or anything along those lines on TikTok, your video gets taken down. And so they used the word unalive unabashedly. They left, right, and center Amazing. substitute. Amazing. And it was so interesting seeing this pop up in a a Doctor Who serial of like future speak. And it's like, shit, they got it right.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But not at all for the reason or any reason they could possibly have foreseen.
1: No. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Funny. I don't know what the second point was. Let's just leave it there.
0: (laughs) We talked a little bit about production value before. Can I also please just bring up gadgets? For example, we have a dock detector in this one. How amazing is that? (laughs) Is that not just like The most amazing gadget you've seen On Classic Who to date And it's in the same scene As some sort of laser welding device That they use to cut off the door It's terrific It's got a little iPad on there With a picture of Sly McCoy It's a great idea
1: And it's so obviously a picture Like I don't know what they had done But it's the highest quality sticker That I've ever seen It was (laughs) insanely good
3: Yeah Dang right it is. I knew there was a printer in that basement.
1: Exactly. It's the red dwarf, red, red, red alert bulb. It's like, oh, you need to scan for someone else. Wait, yeah, we just yeah. have to go and print out another picture. Hang on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Final thing, Jim Cakes.
1: Well, my final thing is trying to tap into seven-year-old Jim, I guess. And decide whether or not this is a scary cereal, And I think it probably is. I think this is creepy as hell. Mm. I think the number of times you see legs sticking out of the bin being dragged by a Mm. cleaner... Or, like, a cleaner claw coming through to grab the cannibal resis. Like, there's lots of of kind of snatching, like, horror elements. And the pool robot, as cute as it actually looks in reality, I still think that's quite a scary concept of you being attacked while you're in what seems to be the safety of a swimming pool. And I feel like, yeah, this did, did some scary horror shit quite well. Nice. Oh, if Kid Jim could see you now... (laughs)
3: Oh. <laughs> and the way that they made the outwardly harmless, lovely, cuddly old ladies stone cold cannibal killers. Yeah. That'd make you think twice about going over to your granny's next time. Exactly. Because, like, well, clearly appearances mean nothing.
1: This is kind of like the Moffat stuff that he, he always taps into. It's like, make the everyday thing scary. Like, blink with statues and lots of other things, I'm sure. And I think, yeah, there's an element of that. You're right, true.
3: Yeah. Also, Sylvester McCoy sells the hell out of being throttled at the end of part three. His tongue is going... That's, that's a pretty horrific image.
1: Yeah. And the whole, the great architect... Turning the chief into a robot. This is the other thing that freaked me out as a kid, which is Superman two or three. I forget where there's a baddie that gets turned into a robot. She gets sucked into a machine, and all the wires are oh, like yeah, yeah. pulling her in. We talked about this before on the podcast somehow.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. This was clearly a traumatic event. Yeah, childhood. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like the same thing is happening when the chief gets turned into a robot. It's just yeah, lots of lots of horrific stuff. Tick.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tick, indeed. Well, with all of that said, how about we try to somehow numerically score this? Sure. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we love or hate
3: this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey la 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 la. Ratings.
0: What ho, Podcast Land, and welcome to the hour review section of this podcast episode, and I have the delight and honour to reveal that Jim Cakes lost the fingertip on tip of Nose cake. so Jim Cakes, take it away please.
1: Yeah, I think it's slightly unfair when you guys are in the same room together and there's lag on the connection, but whatever, I'll go first. <laughs> Okay, wait, how do we talk about this one in a succinct fashion? I don't really know, but I'm going to try. Weirdly, my first note is a thumbs up, because it has Richard Bryars in it, despite the fact that I detest his performance, which we'll get to later. I actually enjoy the various factions we have in this, the Kangs, the Rezis. They were, yes, a little bit two-dimensional, yes, a little bit pantomime, but it was a lot of Fun, I think. And I liked how clear cut Mm. it was and the interactions that you get because you've got that set up. It was nice. And in a similar vein, like what I said earlier, I think it all felt like a play. It felt like I could ignore a lot of things that might be niggling because of performances or weird dialogue that sounds a bit childish or something like that, because it felt like it was... You know what? We are just we've set up this world. It's a little bit self-contained. But imagine you're you're at the theatre and you just you let it go. You don't think about the outside world. You just concentrate on what you're being shown. And for the first time in a long time in a Doctor Who serial, I felt like I totally got that. I was on board. I didn't care about the things that were happening or not happening outside. It just kind of worked. It was good, nice, and I think. Partly that's probably because it doesn't take itself too seriously. really hope that they were doing that intentionally. I'm, I'm 100% just having to accept that they were doing it intentionally. The, yeah, Leon, you pointed out the crashing through doors and stuff. You don't write that if you're trying to be 100% serious and dramatic. So I feel like they knew what they were doing a lot of situations. And that, again, gives you a little bit of a hand wave for the over-performances in lots of places. Hmm. Another random thing that I liked, Doc gets a nice scene to say goodbye to people. That's often missing from Classic Who in particular, and it always frustrates the fuck out of me, where it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, why then? The two people that survived this horrific event. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Observation. Yeah, we get a pecs, and Doc's part of that. He's even commenting on, on just what it means and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, it was a nice thing. I also kind of like that you could interpret this, if you're very generous, you could interpret this as one big pun on being taken to the cleaners. Anyway, little side thing.
3: <laughs> yes,
1: Some random things that made me smile. The map that everyone gets given that says at the bottom, don't you fucking dare go into the basement or you'll die. That's just amazing. Doc <laughs> Bragging that he's such a genius that the great architect will have to come and talk to him. Because who could miss up the opportunity of chatting with such an intellectual guy? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. At one point the chief says, very straight faced to someone, I think possibly at the Rezies, you can rest assured there'll be no cover up, no cover up whatsoever. And this is just <laughs> complete and it's just amazing. And the random thing with the deputy chief caretaker, who's so sticking to the rule book all throughout, either either is taking up Doc's cue of making up rules, or there genuinely is a rule that means he gets to kick down a door when they've, we've cut the hole into it. And I love that he, he uses that opportunity. Like, yeah, I'm going to kick this fucking door down. It's my right. It says so in the rule book. <laughs> it's nice. We have some classic Doctor Who tropes as well. They're not Daleks, but the cleaners seem like a good substitute for the Daleks. So, of course, someone tries to stop them by throwing a net over them, which is very quickly shown to be a pathetic approach, as it obviously is, when the Kangs machine gun the fuck out of it. And that's the way you act. <laughs> (laughs) It's not all great, I grant you that The Melon Peck show is pretty dull and awful Mm. The overacting is, yeah It's killing it in a lot of places Particularly for me, Richard Bryars When he turns into robot Great, great architect But you know what? It was it was good fun. It's bonkers. It actually is really more cohesive than a lot of Doctor Who serials that are mm, way absolutely. less bonkers. I'm not going to give it a hugely amazing score, but a nice good score of 3.7 out of 5.
0: <laughs> wow okay all right that is yeah. pretty good 3.7 right fantastic mini fantastic rating very fantastic rating in fact Ooh. you mentioned the deputy chief i found some trivia about him he was originally going to be played by another actor and had to be replaced at the last minute he was originally going to be played by edward hardwick who played watson in the jeremy brett's series he was one of the two he was the main watson so hmm. they switched actors at one point but yeah he was also in an episode of Poirot. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> Season six. Right, okay.
1: pause you a second, because I swear I read trivia about someone that said they were in Sherlock Holmes. Like, someone who's oh, in the thing.
0: In the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes? That's very possible. Hardwick is not in it. You would recognize him. If you saw Hardwick, you would absolutely recognize him, because he looks like Watson.
1: <laughs> but Clive yeah. Clive Barrison, who is playing the deputy chief, Was Sherlock Holmes in a BBC radio production?
0: Oh, weird! Sixty-four episodes.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: So Sherlock Holmes replaced Watson in the role of the deputy chief. I apparently so. That is the best (laughs) trivia ever.
3: Fantastic. That's so petty. I love it. Turn us down. (laughs) Well, we're going to hire the guy who you're nominally the sidekick of. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Love it.
0: Right. Okay. Am I going next or are you going next? Yeah, you're going next. I'm going next. All right. I'm going next. <sighs> Step aside, J.G. Ballard's high rise. Get out of the way, Snowpiercer. Never before has a place been more efficiently allegorical in its portrayal of affluent citizens descending into chaos. You call that social criticism, Caldegazzelo Urtias, the platform made for Netflix in 2019? This Doctor Who serial wouldn't wipe its ass with you. Watch it, it's awesome. Obviously, J.K., to be perfectly clear, this serial is unquestionably a wet bag of dog vom, but it is so. To the point where I am compelled to applaud the BBC for not calling it quits after airing it. Imagine if you attended a company town hall or something, and in amongst all the boring PowerPoint decks was a plate of shit. I don't mean a poorly designed slide. I'm talking about a perfect brown cable curled on pristine Regency China. And your colleagues (laughs) just went, yeah, look, we did this. You would take the afternoon off. But no, these MFers stuck with it, and I doff my imaginary cap at all of them, because I hate to say it, but I really kind of love this serial. Sly McCoy's second outing as the 7th Doctor, and he's he's great. Yeah, he's, he's pretty great when he's on screen. His comedic chops are solid, but most of all, he takes the material seriously. He could very easily just acknowledge that none of this matters, and he could phone it in, but no. Nope. <laughs> He is in this serial, unquestionably. And he's sarky, snarky, and clever as balls. Really, really, yeah, good stuff. Not as good as Pride Doctor, but good stuff. Mel, meanwhile, is incredibly grating on me. I'm aware that she has her own fan club, and I'm hoping to be proven wrong about her, perhaps over the course of the season. I don't know how long she lasts, by the way. I have no idea. Um, yeah, anyway, I have to admit, ultimately I was proven wrong about Perry as well. So perhaps the same will happen here. Yeah, you never know. But flipping heck, did she take acting cues from Shaggy Rogers? Yes, that was Shaggy's surname on Scooby-Doo. I looked it up. The ancillary characters here are really where the story reveals its intentions to us. Clearly they are part of a partially successful attempt to fashion a clever allegory. Most of them can act, but not a single one among them is seemingly ever asked to. Is that a problem? If you're expecting this to behave like uh, television, sure, I guess. But if you consider this total, relentless, unabashed schlock, then no. In fact, taking all of the overacting into account, the cast could technically be said to be at least twice its actual size. What a bargain for the Beeb, two actors for the price of one, times all of them, bonus. The foe is interesting, and maybe this is one of the downfalls, actually, because I would much rather that we'd have spent more time on the actual foe and less time on the wall scrollers chanting about you know the kang and the hi-hi but it is what it is production value I don't know let's take stock costumes check badass cleaners check inexplicable crustacean pool robot check hair dye for the linguistically challenged check not great at bats, but I'm pretty sure that's a winner Greatest asset, the chutzpah required to venture into this project in the first place. Biggest flaw, the serial thinks we are children or idiots or both. JK, seriously, it's Mel. After all that, my takeaway is, yes, life is precious and I will never get this time back. And somehow over the past week and this evening's bands, I have decided that I can live with that. I have seriously gone on a journey with this. A week ago, I rated this 1.6. Oh, wow. And then I spent five days thinking about how great it was. And right before pressing record this evening, I wrote 3.8. Oh,
1: wow. Oh, nice.
0: More than doubled it.
3: Huge heart. Well, I'm going to keep mine brief because I am but a mere tourist in classic land. I'm going to echo and extend what people have said about Richard Bryers. He stayed at the top for the better part of four decades. He knows what he's doing. That's not to say that he wouldn't be susceptible to a misstep every now and again. But at the beginning of part four, he has to decide what to do with this character. He has to make it different from who he's been to date. He has to be an embodiment of evil. Now, the director... And he might be having a conversation. He's asking, "So what do I do?" That's really evil. How do how is it communicated to the audience that I am beyond redemption? And the director says, "Well, you growl at a screen and you walk around a bit." And Richard Briers thinks to himself, "People aren't going to buy that." First of all, I'm lovable, Richard Briers, and secondly, even if I put my meanest. I don't know, recesses of my soul into it. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to achieve anything. So I'll ham it the fuck up and it will be schlocky and it will fit with the crazy 80s synth music. And for me, that is a far more satisfying hole than if he'd really tried to be menacing and brutish. I liked the music in a way because it's so not what people did before or have done since it's very of its time but it is balls to the wall with its batshittery like the rest of this it's alien you go to doctor who expecting something you don't get anywhere else this episode delivers that and then some for an hour and a half so function and form or whatever you choose or however you choose to define it perfectly in sync i made a note to say with the uh, the kang street kids this seems like a super hardcore version of the Beano. Is that not 2000 AD, Judge Dredd publishes, So that works as well. There are lots of things I like. I liked the the bribery scene with the caretaker and Maddie, which one of you guys just talked about as well. The pettiness, the pettiness that rules this society while they sweep cannibalism and murder under the rug. Yes, okay, allegory. But again, like, I enjoyed it. I feel like this set up lots of other things. There was a callback from the idiot's lantern. She was always going, hungry. They must have been referring back to this, the repetition Hmm. alone. Oh, yeah. In the long game, you were in the Satellite 5 or whatever, and people wanted to get to floor 500. They're always trying to get to the top floor, and maybe that's in high-rise and everything, but again, that seems like a bit of a callback. I got Little Shop of Horrors vibes from the weird thing in the basement. They made delicatessen out of the sea story, for goodness sake. This is fertile material. That's not to say I'm going to give it a high score as if it's actually really good, but I did like it, and I'm glad I guessed it. I'm going to give it a 3.0. Nice one. Nice,
0: right? I would not have expected a week ago that the three of us would give this relatively high ratings. <laughs> nice. Oh, look at us and our um, big
1: hearts. My brain has annoyingly sparked, so if you don't mind, I'm just going to... Go for it. Um, please go off a couple of things from Drew's review because we didn't talk about the music and we were commenting in the last series how god awful the music was it was so misplaced and just stupidly like over the top dynamic and stuff And it's not dissimilar in this one, but it worked. They used it correctly. And Mm, yeah, it's like there is a place for this really, really heavy 80s simp. And it's a bonkers serial like this, (laughs) I think. I think that was actually quite cool.
3: Yeah, it's the musical equivalent of scrawling pink neon. Everything is highlighters all the way down the score.
1: Exactly. And there's actually some trivia with it as well, because apparently the person that wrote the score originally... I've forgotten. I've lost the name. Anyway they wrote an entire score and John Nathan-Turner was not happy I was like nope, nope not going to use that they got someone else to write the score who had been working on Time and the Rani and the next serial so possibly they filmed them out of order I'm not sure and he did the composition for this in a week and just like just banged it out and like you know what you've done a better job than you did in the last one
0: <laughs> wow mm. that's the equivalent of <laughs> do you remember in Adventure in Space and Time where they're like we've you've had months to design a TARDIS set for us what is it going to look like and the guy just goes well i've got an upside down container of fast food and some whatever here's some cutlery and used tissue and he just fashions what is then going to be the tardis interior for
1: 60 years
0: a lot of accidental genius across the bbc
3: yeah people do their best work under the severest constraints sometimes evidently
1: exactly there's a saying that i always quite like to stick to i don't know if it's an actual saying or if i just made it up but boundaries breed creativity you get a time pressure or or a really strict brief and suddenly you just get really good.
0: Hmm. I believe that merits an ooh. That's
1: what makes sonnets so juicy. Hmm. Exactly. Anywho, Was... we've chatted enough, haven't we?
0: So those are our opinions, but there are opinions of other people in space and time, I believe. Why don't we have a listen to some of them?
3: Let's not now let's hear from Podcast Lands to 50, or it would get out of hand.
0: Shazamatron, and welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode. Holy smokerunis and cheesecakes, we've got tons of them. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten listener minis for this Doctor Who cereal. Whoop, 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 whoop. I didn't count, but I'll take your word for it. Who's <laughs> first? Ooh, we've got one of these. New reviewers. So, dang right we do. Ollie Raven. Hello, Ollie.
1: Hello, Ollie.
0: Welcome, Ollie. <laughs> Ollie starts. Hi there, futuristic dystopian architecture fans, cheesecakes and indeed smokeroonies of holiness. Longtime listener. Three orbits of Sol 3 around its star or so. First time reviewer. Welcome aboard. This is the era where classic Who ends with a bang. So if I'm going to contribute, it's now or never, I suppose.
3: Anyway, as with one of your hosts, being sat in the living room watching this is one of my very earliest memories. Not just memories of Who or of TV as a whole, but of anything. I'm vague recall being scared at the time, but also enjoying it. Not re-watched it recently as I'm yet to pick up this season on Blu-ray, but I remember subsequent viewings of this first on
1: UK Gold and then later on the
3: DVD having revealed
1: further nuances, such as Jim. That swimming pool that was so totally part of the same set as everything else. Check. The killer frog bath toy special effect. The superb casting effects. (laughs) Which was totally in line with how this character was written. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the understated and subtle performance by Richard Bryars in the final episode. Check! Very tasteful, <laughs> yes. The rest of the acting being absolutely unlike something out of a lower sick form play. Check, check, check! The pan around being taken to the cleaners. <whap friend agrees> with... <laughs> <Check>. <laughs> and heavily implied cannibalism. Ooh, I
3: check. <laughs> Nice. What a
0: masterpiece! Concludes Ollie Raven. Build high for happiness. Build high for happiness. And gives this a rating of holy smokeroonies and cheesecakes. Ollie, four point seven yellow kangs. Wowzers! Huge hot wowzers wowzers in my trousers. Ollie, awesome rating. Fantastic mini. Welcome aboard. Wow! This is his first one. <laughs> <laughs> Good uh, yeah.
1: stuff, Ollie. Hope you're on board yeah. for the long haul. Back to end of classic land. Yeah, exactly. Very happy to be travelling down this temporal road with you,
0: Ollie. Uh, who <laughs> just just not... hopped on at the final junction there. Yeah, people who are not Ollie can say hi to Ollie online. Ollie's available on Insta. At... On the That's right, at
1: <laughs>
0: Foggy, Foggy Doctor, Doctor Who. who. <laughs> 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 yeah, thank you very Indeed. much, Ollie. Awesome, awesome stuff.
3: Who's next? <laughs>
0: Well, it's none other than Ed Corbett. It's Ed Corbett or Ed Corbett. It's one of those. That's right. It's Ed. Hello, Ed. Hello, Ed. Or it could be Ed Corbett. (laughs) Ed starts Doc indulges a mad woman's pool obsession she must go for a swim and it must be at Paradise Towers none of the 10 million pools on earth thanks Google (laughs) nor the one in the TARDIS are good enough he got rid of the pool he says in the beginning yeah he had to drain it Yeah. nothing will dampen her obsession oh nice dampen not gang warfare killer robots cannibals not even repeated warnings that no one comes back from the pool alive this is the one where I gave up on Mel. Ace can't get here soon enough.
3: Paradise Towers grants us an insight into a middle-class man's view of how gang culture works. Burns, Ed. Family TV favourite Richard Briers simultaneously gives us a villain performance while also exploring what Blakey from On the Buses would have been like if he'd converted to fascism. Oh, you humans. We also meet Pex, a character with an arc that made his death as predictable as when a character in a war film holds up a photo and says, this is my girl. After
1: the war, we're going to get married. Very true. Ed continues, The world of Paradise Towers isn't massively explained. There's a war. We don't know how long it's been going on. It can't have been that long, as the Kangs don't know any residents aged 20 to 60. So there's not been enough time for the original children to have reached that age. Which means Paradise Towers must have degraded faster than Homer Simpson when Marge left.
3: (laughs) We've been apart for a day, and I'm already as filthy as a Frenchman.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In conclusion, Ed gives this 2.2 ridiculously slow-moving and unthreatening robots out of 5. Seriously, they have so little articulation, you can just sit on them and they can't get you.
3: That is true. (laughs) Try not to sit on that drill,
1: though. Or maybe you want to. I
3: don't know. (laughs) Is this what the classic channel's like? (laughs) <laughs>
0: Ed, that is amazing. I love it. I absolutely love it. This is this is where I was a week ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is so good. I love it.
3: When did you write this, Ed? Let us know. And has your mind changed?
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Thank you very much, Ed. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Ed. Ooh, who's next? Right, next up it's GP Haynes. GP.
3: I say J. You say P. G. P. G. Jim. P. Yay! Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I've been revising. GP says this is a
0: terrible serial from start to finish, a very amateur production, and a hodgepodge of good ideas and bad cliches that
3: might have worked in
0: another era of Doctor Who.
3: GP? McCoy tries his best with this garbage, with glimpses of promise. And Mel is actually good, with not too much screaming. When she did, it was warranted. If I was given this story,
1: a sides GP, I'd be screaming too. Mmm. Costumes, robots, writing and music, especially the music. All terrible. And the acting, was it actually directed to act like this? I do know Richard Price can act. <laughs> wow.
0: If so, continues GP, then the directing was also terrible. The promo video for The Towers looked better than the actual serial. Part sitcom, part kindergarten show. I couldn't work out if it was a satire,
3: and if so, a satire of what? A satire of your own expectations, GP. However, GP leavens his review by saying it wasn't all bad. The idea behind the Kangs was solid. I like when a TV show develops a separate language and culture for a serial or episode that shows him imagination and thoughts. Here's my friend who agrees with me, it's basically Doctor Who's bash at Tolkien.
0: Agree to disagree, both of
1: you. (laughs) (laughs) The concept of the towers itself is also interesting and had huge potential, says GP. But sadly, the sum here is way worse than any good parts. This is my second time viewing this, and my last. (laughs) Fail!
3: (laughs) Have you been taking acting lessons from Richard Bryars,
1: Jim? (laughs) <laughs> Why, of course.
0: And GP gives this a rating of naught point eight. Old cannibal ladies, holy smoker rooties oh. and cheesecakes. Mm. Oh, nice one, GP. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I find love it. I find this really so interesting. Like it's diversive in my head that I, so much. So I understand how people get here. Oh, absolutely. I, I yeah, totally. he's
3: not wrong. <laughs> Everything he says is spot on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Everything everyone said so far is spot on. It's yeah. brilliant and terrible.
0: People yeah. who are not GP can find GP on Insta and on YouTube. Simply look for at finding G spots. All in one word for your convenience. Thank you very much. A GP. Why not
3: try sitting on a drill? That'll do it. Who's <laughs> next? <laughs> <laughs> well, next up, it's Tracy from, from America. America. Hello, Tracy. What's up, Tracy? What's up, Tracy? tracy says and i'm gonna read out every word of this oh no did i miss it well if you haven't gone to bed yet i know you're just gonna shorten this anyway so i guess i'll just observe that once again this is fantastically sci-fi weird and dystopian but i liked it and tracy gives this a rating of two question marks nice one tracy possibly out of five who can tell I think that's a spot-on rating, actually.
1: You'll find that's two question marks out of three and a half badges. It's very clear.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. nice one, Tracy. Very, very good stuff. People who are not Tracy, please, please reach out to Tracy and tell her how incredibly on point Tracy's rating is. Tracy can be found at... Yekutnyatnoof. That's Fountain Fountain Tracy. Backwards, almost.
1: Almost. (laughs) (laughs)
0: thank you very much Tracy henceforth podcast land we are doing snippages only who's next
1: it's none other than that choppy yourself chaps, Andy Parkinson.
0: What up, Andy? Hi, Andy.
1: Andy says, snip, snippity,
0: snip, 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 and concludes, I award this 3.9 illuminated neon crowdnot eyes out of five. Build high, Build high for
1: happiness. Build high for happiness. Build high for happiness. Nice one. Nice. Nice one.
0: People who are not Andy, say hi to Andy at Caffrey's 71. Exactly. Who's, Who's next? next? <laughs> My next up is Stephen from Canada. <laughs> or Stephen from Canada. Bingo. Hello, Stephen.
3: <laughs> Fine, be no correct. Man, <laughs> Stephen gives this a snipped version of overall. This story earns 4.8 weight. Is that Hitler's out of five? Yes. Yeah, no one How should we be allowed to shave their mustache like that.
1: <laughs> or, or the Bryant. mustache salute. We didn't even comment on the fact that
0: they hail each other. Oh, hail. Oh,
3: hail.
1: Yeah.
0: No, there is they're fascists. I don't understand who put them in charge. There's a whole separate conversation to be had here.
1: Stephen has waited a long time for us to read this out because this originally came on the 26th of September 2021. Yes, that is right. Stephen, thanks for waiting. (laughs)
3: Yes. So please go to whomatwhen.com and read the review in its full splendor.
0: Yes, indeed. All of
3: these. People who are not Stephen can follow Steven
0: online he can be found at s
1: andrietchen that's right
0: thank you very much steven
3: who's hey, next
1: next up it's none other than the zunmeister himself peter zunich
0: what up peter
1: hello How hi peter. Peter says lots of things, we're not reading them, but he does say, one foot <laughs> short of a perfect fit, 4.5 out of 5. Amazing. It's a good wow. summary. Holy smokes.
3: <laughs> Polarizing. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Thank you very much, Peter. Who's Anti- Antipenultimate, penultimate, it's Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran?
1: Kieran. Kieran
3: says, snip, snipity,
0: snip, 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 and concludes with, so it feels a little weird given it this score, but 2.0 out of 5 Pex lives. Pex lives. Might be Pex lives. 2 out of 5 Pex lives. Yeah.
2: True. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you very much, Kieran. People who are not Kieran, do what the environment compels you to do and follow Kieran at
3: KJ Evans 2.
1: For all For your event needs. needs.
3: Thank you very much, Thank Kieran. Kieran is penultimate. Why penultimate, it's Michael Ridgeway. Ridgway. 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 Michael gives Michael. this exactly the review you'd expect. Read it in its full glory. Do, nay, you must. He concludes by saying, Five out of five kangs, resis, and caretakers carted off to somewhat needless deaths given Croagnon wanted a live host. His requirements were obviously lost in translation. Happens to me all the time.
0: Yeah. He's just misunderstood, really.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: There but further. Anyway. Thank you very much, Mike. People who are not Michael, please follow him online. He can be found on Twitter at bad.
1: Underscore. Movie.
3: Underscore. Club. Thank you very much, Michael. Love you, Michael. And
1: side note, Michael is staying true to his promise. <laughs> Fives That's all the right.
0: way. Yeah, it's very, very big of you, Michael.
3: His last. <laughs> There's no higher rise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> last up, we've got Neil.
3: What up, Neil?
1: Neil says, it's all a bit daft and the swimming pool monster is hilarious, but I can't help liking it. You know what? That probably summarises my entire view of this. Well done, Neil. Neil gives a rating... Yeah. out of 5. Great. Nice.
3: On point.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, really, really good stuff, Neil. Thank you very much for sending that in. People who are not Neil can follow Neil on Twitter and Insta, respectively. He can be found at Neil Androzuni and...
3: Neil James (laughs) Arctor, Respectively.
0: Thank you very much,
1: Neil. Hey, Neil. Thank you, everyone.
0: Holy smokes. That concludes the listener mini section and the, well, Our Paradise Towers review. Thank you, everyone, who sent something in for this. Podcast Land, please head on over to whobackone.com and read all of these minis in their Full splendor this is not the last of doctor who though what have we got coming up next next up we've got new who with what drew
3: it's one i should be on ascension of
0: the Cyberman. holy smokes after that we've got classic gym cakes
1: delta and the banner Men.
0: that sounds like a carriage band i don't
1: know what to think about that
0: <laughs> i don't know either at some point we're going to have a an audio who review as well it's going to be doctor who redacted nice And bonus, who knows? We'll see.
3: That's the nature of bonus. It'll be a bonus. Exactly, yeah, yeah.
1: It's not going to surprise you too much. It will be bloopers or some other anniversary thing or bloopers most likely or possibly bloopers
3: it'll
0: it'll (laughs) be one of those yeah that's absolutely right people can however interact with us ahead of and twixt all of these uh, aforementioned upcoming episodes oh lucky us Uh, drew thank you so much for joining us today where can people find you online oh they can
3: find me at drew back when
0: spiffing branding. branding It's about uh,
3: time the classic channel got some good branding cake where can people find you?
1: People can find me on Mastodon at Mm -hmm. jimmy at thewhatnow.eu Nice
0: Actually, you know what? Solid branding as well. Yeah. Like, really, really solid. That's as solid branding as branding gets. Yeah.
1: Hey, uh, on, how are you?
0: On the opposite end of the branding quality spectrum, you can find me. I am at Ponkin, P-O-N-K-E-N, because, yeah, what
3: else? It was the early days of branding. People didn't know any better. It's just a bit of
0: fun, really. Peeps, I've had a fantastic evening. We've had a very hoovian soiree. Thank you very much.
3: Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks um, for making space for me in your fine channel. But of course.
1: Coming and filling our earbuds with such delightful thoughts and words and Druisms.
0: That, that sentence could have gone anywhere. I found.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Jim, you have once again proven yourself the consummate chap. Until the next time, please, podcast
0: be rad and excellent to one another. Rock on and cha-chao. See ya. Bye-bye.